Welcome to ISO Chats Theology. I'm Lionel Windsor, New Testament lecturer at Moore Theological College, Sydney. During the COVID-19 isolation, I chatted with lots of my friends and colleagues here at Moore about theology, Christian life and ministry. It's the kind of discussion we'd normally have over morning tea, but the topics are highly relevant to life in a changing world. So I wanted to let you listen in. Enjoy. Today I welcome Mark Ernji, uh, my brother and colleague here at Moore College. Uh, Mark Ernji is a lecturer in uh, doctrine and church history here at Moore College. And uh, yeah, we're going to be talking today about a lecture that Mark is going to be giving, a public lecture uh, that he's going to be giving uh, in a few days' time on Tuesday the 14th uh, of April uh, 2020 at 7 p.m. And it's all going to be available online because it's basically an online lecture. No one's going to be in the room. Uh, but I want to talk to him about uh, that because the lecture is going to be on the responses to the plague amongst uh, those people from the Reformation. So people from 500 years ago or so. Welcome, Mark. Thanks very much, Lionel. Good to be here. There yeah. or somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, be wherever we are. Um, yeah. Mark, I, I want to start by just asking you a little bit about your uh, your study and what you've done in the past and you know, where, where you went. So you, you are, you're an Anglican minister. And I am, I am. And, yep, uh, yeah, came from Moore College, got ordained, did some ministry in Toon Gabby. Yeah, Toon Gabby, that's right. Yep, yep. Um, now, you, you, you did that and then you decided to sort of go elsewhere and um, study some history and theology and stuff. Well, what was that all about? Why did you do that? It's a good question. Um, so I, I left, and my wife, Tanya, and I, we had two little kids at our stage. We went over from Toon Gabby, we left and went over to Oxford in England and, um, and we spent four... Uh, wonderful years over there, um, doing a master's and a PhD in, uh, well, a DPhil, which is what they call it, Oxford, but whatever, um, in uh, church history, um, uh, ecclesiastical history, particularly uh, looking at the English Reformation. Um, so it's pretty uh, special um, time and, and a pretty special place to do that kind of study. Hmm. Uh, my question would be, like, why did you sort of, you know, decide to leave, leave good old Toon Gabby and the, the ministry of the gospel that you had there um, and go and sort of study history? You know, we, did you suddenly become some kind of, you know, academic who wasn't interested in ministry anymore? <laughs> yeah, that's really Leading interesting. Question. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, um, I, I, I suppose I had a, a real heart for people, which is why I wanted to do the further study in order to um, help train um, ministers. In fact, I remember um, being um, encouraged to go and do a bit of study actually overseas. And my response was, oh, I'm not sure about that. I've got a bit of a heart for pastoral ministry. And this um, person said to me, oh, no, no, that's exactly the right answer. I'm sorry to say that's the right answer. <laughs> that's <laughs> but this person said, no, 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 actually we need more people at more college who have pastoral hearts, um, who are gonna teach um, theology to future ministers to do pastoral ministry. And I thought, actually, now that really resonates with me. I mean, I found when I was at college, the best lecturers were the ones that were um, sharp as a tack, but really had a, a heart for people. And, and I thought, mm. oh, I could do that. That'd be, that'd be great, actually. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I sort of see myself as a minister who happens to uh, work in a college now rather than a, a parish, which is great. But, yeah, yeah. why, I mean, why go away to Oxford to do that? It's a really interesting question. I mean, I, I suppose I, 
I've got a really interesting history. When I was at school, I wasn't a particularly much of a history buff or anything like that. In fact, I, 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 didn't, um, I didn't do many arts subjects and, and I went to university to computer science and, and I, I really only learned how to um, you know, um, speak the English language. Some would argue that I, I, I ever did learn that. But I, I only really learned about the English language when I came to Moore College and did, did Greek, learned what a preposition was. So anyway, I was a bit behind the eight ball, but I, I had a real interest in history and I seemed to be pretty decent at it. So I um, went over to England and I wanted to look at the English Reformation. Well, I mean, why, why do in the first place is an interesting question. And um, for me, history, like I think all of us, um, helps explain um, who we are. It's a question of identity. Who am I? Where have I come from? Um, why do people around me think like they think and do what they do and say what they say? And how, how am I to make sense of different ways of doing things and traditions and um, ways of reading the Bible and church practices and um, theological thoughts? Um, and, and actually, a lot of unraveling those questions comes from historical understanding. Mm. And so that we were really interested, and particularly when it came to the um, English Reformation um, and the Reformation more generally. Um, I thought, wow, there's, there's a lot to be gleaned here to explain kind of why we think the way we think and, um, and should we think the way we think and were they right and will, you know, mm. all those be lots of fun. So it helps us to understand ourselves. Maybe and I, 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 to ask the question in another way, it's kind of the same mm. question, but it's the sort of the, the, the negative. Um, what happens, do you reckon, if we don't, uh, if we forget our history? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, sometimes, I mean, um, throughout history, the, 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 the ones that go off the rails, and Christians that go off the rails are the ones that think that all they need is their Bible and um, they don't need anyone else um, who's come before them. And, um, you know, that, um, that they're smarter than everyone else and all their new novel interpretations of things are the right ones. And um, they're usually the ones that go off the rails. Um, so, so I, you know, there's nothing new under the sun, and there's lots of um, mistakes that have been made before. And so, history is also one of those good little guardrail systems that help us um, keep us on on course and keep, keep us on going in the right direction. Um, so, that's that's one of the good uses of history as well. So, if you if you don't know even what the rails are, then you're in much more danger of going off them because you haven't realised that <laughs> you weren't even on them on the first in the first place. Or yeah. Pretty, pretty much, you, you, yeah, you know, okay. and, and that's why it's, I think it's really helpful when I see students learning about um, the big debates and um, bust up to the past and um, wh where things have gone off the rails, um, kind of light bulb moments and, oh, that's why we don't do that or, oh, that, oh yeah, that's, that's why I shouldn't, you know, start thinking of these things. And, oh, yeah, I should take the creeds more seriously because, gee, there's, these guys have hammered out some theology and, gee, I'd be crazy to kind of disagree with that. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, those I think this is just a, this is a little bit of a digression in some ways, but just in, in my own field of New Testament studies, it's really interesting that over the last uh, you know, 20, 30, 40 years, uh, and even before then, there's been um, you know, a whole of uh, movements in Pauline studies, the study of the Apostle Paul and his letters, uh, where people have dis you know, discovered all these kind of new things, um, uh, but they're really not new at all because they, they go back to uh, particularly the, the reformers. And, and just in the last few years, uh, I've, there's, there's been a resurgence in um, biblical studies, particularly New Testament Pauline studies going, ah, oh, the, the reformers actually thought about some of these things in Paul's letters you know, to do with justification. And rather than the reformers being a kind of either a, 
you know, um, two-dimensional figures who you have to conform to or two-dimensional figures who are the villains who, you know, got, made it all go wrong. People are saying that there was actually a huge amount of sophistication and thought that went into doctrines of justification and questions of salvation in church and all sorts of things uh, uh, from, from, uh, the, from the reformers. Uh, so, yeah, that's, I think there's someone mowing the lawn close, close by you, so I'm getting some funny sounds coming through. But, uh, is that right? It could, I don't know what it is, but it could be the laptop itself. Who yeah, knows? Right. Yeah, who knows? Anyway, some, some strange sounds coming through. This is what happens with these chats. Um, How's that now? Yeah. Is that a little bit better? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I think so. Yeah. We'll see so, how we go. <laughs> um, the, yeah, so, so that, I, I just, just to affirm that. Um, no, totally. I mean, it is interesting. We do see that in a lot of um, uh, doctrine, systematic theology as well. Um, where scant attention is actually um, uh, um, uh, made to uh, the historical traditions, you can see people and traditions being written off in, you know, a, a sentence um, or um, described as flat earthers or, or some, some kind of, you know, put down comment and would dispatch with that whole tradition or that particular thinker. Um, but actually, uh, normally when you see that sort of thing, it should probably alert you to say that person doesn't know what they're talking about. Um, <laughs> it, because the tradition is usually um, far richer than, than you can write off in a sentence. Um, and I mean, you see this in other ways too. Um, you know, the, the Calvin versus the Calvinists thesis, you know, Calvin was the higher watermark of, of, of all reformed theology. and Everyone who came after him um, ruined it. It went downhill with arid, dry, scholastic, metaphysical, come up with whatever put down term you want to come up with, kind of insert here, uh, category. Um, and, and all those kind of moves that sometimes you see people make um, normally rely on dodgy history. And so mm. history, right, enables you to engage with these, these things. I think actually history makes you probably a better theologian. Um, mm. big, big theological mistakes are often made because of bad history. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, and, and actually the, 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 the reverse is true as well. Um, to do good history, church history, I think actually requires pre being a decent theologian because you see a lot of dodgy history done by church historians that don't have good theology. So again, it's one of those things that I think it's really important for a whole um, theological education to get, to get all of these ingredients really well, good biblical studies, good biblical theology, good doctrine, good church history, good philosophy, good ethics, um, to see these things as a package rather than to kind of become a specialist um, and, and really not, you know, be strong on other important disciplines. Hmm. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's a very broad thing. I'm glad, glad we've had a, a chance to talk about these very broad uh, questions. And I, I do agree with you. That's what's great about being together as a, as a faculty. We're, we're all sort of working together, aren't we, rather than being specialised uh, in, in... I do like that. One of the things I've, I've enjoyed well, since coming to Moore College has been able to be all on the same floor. Yeah. question. Just wander over. I might ask you a quick question about, as I've done about New Testament, and you might ask me something about Cranmer and the reformers. Yeah, yeah, so it's that's quite right. Yeah, yep. uh, that's why I'm trying to keep it up by having these chats. Um, now we, we'll talk about um, more, more, in, you know, more specifically um, the question of the plagues and the reformers' you know, response to the plagues or the response amongst reformation churches to the plagues um i'm not sure how broadly you're going but um uh, yeah uh, that's that's obviously you know that we were talking about various 
theological issues. Um, that's also a very practical issue and it has to do with uh, all sorts of uh, issues to do with church and how we respond and, and uh, all those things. Um, what are you, you know, what, what, what are your thoughts? Why, why are you looking at this particular question uh, about the reformers' response to the plagues? Uh, and how do you think it's going to help us? Okay, great. Yeah, thanks. Um, yeah, so next Tuesday night, I'm going to give a lecture, public lecture on Protestants and plague. And um, particularly... Protestants. About, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, the time of the Reformation. Just a good alliteration. Yeah? Um, time, time of the um, Reformation, um, where a lot of our greats that we look up to um, had to respond to the problem of plague. And I'd be, I'm really keen to explore the diversity of responses and um, the sort of different um, episodes and events and disasters and um, near misses that sort of befell the period. And, um, and then look at sort of why do they think the way they thought? And why did they respond in the way they responded? What were some of their sort of theological um, ways of interpreting what was going on? You know, uh, and, and then, and then, what, what, what sort of pastoral advice did they give in the context of outbursts of plague? Um, that's the sort of thing I'm really interested in. I think it's a really um, fascinating thing. I mean, we, we, we at the moment with COVID nineteen, um, we speak about what we're experiencing as unprecedented. That's really interesting. Um, mm. In a sense, it is unprecedented because, uh, well. Um, it's, a, it's a different kind of virus, and, and um, what we think, and um, it's uh, it's affecting us. It's, it's spread so rapidly because of modern navigation and trade and whatever the rest is, um, and our responses to it are quite different by virtue of technology. So, in a lot of ways, it's an unprecedented um, episode, and in some ways, it's not. Um, we forget. I mean, it's just really interesting for me. I, I, I think. Um, I mean, Lyle and I, you and I um, are, are pretty well off. Western Australians who live in Sydney, we've got it pretty darn good. And, um, you know, our, our sort of generation, uh, probably a couple of generations removed from war, which is in the history of the human race, um, a really bizarre thing. Uh, we're really weird. We're the odd ones out um, when it comes to human beings. Um, I think because we just don't have any great close contact with war um, like other people before us, mm. and, and hardship and indeed plague. Um, so we do feel these things as unprecedented in a particular way. But, but you know, if you if you go back to the time of the Reformation, um, plague was really normal. Mm. If, if you were in the 16th century, um, basically anywhere in Europe, plague was pretty normal, and not only normal for your own lifetime, but your consciousness of play is pretty normal because you know only in the 14th century a couple of centuries before you had the black plague which was enormous which um killed proportionally the same uh, so many people in, throughout europe um uh, that proportionally would be the same as um, all, all the deaths in all the world wars in the 20th century put together um uh, wow. and all, in england um half of the population in england at the time um died of the black plague. Um, you know, human mortality rates were so people were high, but but, but people died at such young ages. Um, if you got to forty, you'd done pretty good. Um, 
and other little interesting things, you know, um, the, the Black Plague, which um, started in China, then it went to Italy and then spread from there throughout Europe. Um, uh, you know, a little parallel with, with today's COVID-19. Um, but but that, that major um, Black Plague, the bubonic plague that um, ravaged um, Europe, um, it, it's very interesting. I mean, it, it, it transformed society. Um, not, not initially, people carried on like normal, um, and, and sort of do their day-to-day stuff and self-isolate and do all the rest, but it carried on, but it transformed society in terms of um, uh, people and power and politics and all that sort of stuff. Now, that, that's all you know, leading up to um, the Reformation period where people are totally aware of um, the plague and, 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 they're, and they're experiencing outbreaks and outbursts of the plague in their own time in the 16th century. Uh, not only that, but lots of other diseases, sweating sickness and various pestilences are kicking around. And um, there's a huge, huge impact on um, people's lives. So um, what, what does that kind of look like in the Reformation period? Well, well pick your favourite reformer. They've had some near miss with plague. Um, you know, Luther, for instance, um, plague came to Wittenberg and there's wonderful stories about how he stuck around and helped people in his life. Um, Zwingli, um, who, when plague came down to Zurich, he actually went back, uh, he was out of town at the time, came back, he got the plague, he got sick you know, with the plague himself and almost died. And in response to that, he wrote a, a plague hymn, you know, actually about this pestilence um, and the Lord's provision um, through it. And in fact, it, it, a lot of theologians say that it was only after contracting the plague and surviving it, did a lot of his mature theology take shape about his understanding of God's sovereignty. Um, Cranmer over in England, um, in, in, uh, when, when plague came to Cambridge, Cranmer as it, uh, left Cambridge and he went and he had a particular meeting um, with Stephen Gardner and um, uh, Edmund Fox. And uh, it was there during that um, flight from plague um, in safety at Walton Abbey that Cranmer suggested um, to Stephen Gardner and Fox that. Um, that actually maybe with Henry VIII's um, pro- you know, problem is, is um, looking for an annulment, that he ought to consult the universities throughout Europe. Uh, and, that, and that suggestion got escalated to Henry, thought it was a great idea, went and did it. And, and that basically got Cranmer into good books with Henry and shortly thereafter was promoted to Archbishop. So, so again, if plague hadn't happened in, in that instance and if Cranmer didn't flee, then things would have been totally different historically. Mm. Can I ask you? That's 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 fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And and um, so plague is actually, as as you're saying, it's so much a part of life that it's actually woven into the whole fabric of history. And so there's a sense in which you can't separate the plague from the Reformation. You know, the plague is part of the the the, the context leading to um, things that are happening in the Reformation. Um, if it wasn't for plague, things would be totally different. Or if if, if people got struck down and died of the plague, this world history would be totally different. Yeah, yeah. Do you have a sense of, one of the things we talk about with COVID-19 is it is, you know, there's this unprecedented, um, you know, reality. Um, partly because it's sort of unprecedented in terms of our modern health system. Um, and that is, we have a modern health system that, that rightly seeks to care for, for everybody as much as, as, much as uh, humanly possible. Um, and so one of the reasons that we're all isolating is to avoid the great disaster, which would be our health system being overwhelmed. Um, that's, what, that's where we don't want to be. Um, and so we're actually changing our, our whole um, economy and, and everything that we do 
um, to avoid the great disaster of our health system not being overwhelmed. And I, I, think, I think rightly. Um, mm. Do you have a sense of, you know, how overwhelming were, were the plagues in, uh, the, in the times of, of the Reformation? You know, did they overwhelm their society, their health systems, as, the, as it were? Um, great question. Um, health systems were really different back then. Um, let's take Calvin's Geneva, for instance. Um, plague struck there a number of times during the course of Calvin's ministry, and they established a plague hospital at that time to care for people struck down by the plague. And um, Calvin organised various pastors to be in charge of visiting those struck down by the plague. Um, in other, I mean, in other times, you can think of um, I mean, general advice was self-isolation strategies were there. Um, so, I mean, Aberdeen's an interesting example. They've got a sort of mountains in between. You can um, sort of protect the city in lots of ways. And they did that up in Scotland and they self-isolated and they locked down the city. They wouldn't let people enter. They saw people coming far off from Edinburgh. They'd say, go back, go back. We don't want you here. Same with Glasgow. Um, and so Aberdeen had really interesting protection systems to self-isolate and lock down. Um, London, very interestingly, um, there was a huge plague, outburst of plague in 1563. Um, around, I mean, lots of stuff, business as usual. That's when the 39 articles get first drafted, right? Um, so lots of business as usual, but still huge plague outbreak. And um, uh, lots of stuff goes on. It's so bad, they have to uh, lock down the city um, there were uh, bonfires in the streets on three evenings. They thought they could consume the dirty, polluted, um, infected air, um, but it only precipitated intensification of the plague. Um, infected households were to display a blue cross um, on white paper with the words, Lord, have mercy upon us at the front of their houses. Um, the, uh, lots of people were encouraged to stay indoors in London during this great plague. Um, and um, if you were uh, um, one person, uh, if, if they went outdoors to run errands, had to hold, if they were infected, hold a white stick um, to demonstrate that they were infected and stay away. Um, so there are lots of different kind of strategies for coping um, that are very similar to today's strategy. It's really interesting in 500 years, the same strategies, um, self-isolate, lockdown, close your borders, don't let anyone in, um, stay in your homes, but, but they didn't have the healthcare systems. Um, so um, some comments there. Yeah, there were plague hospitals set up in some places. Um, there were doctors, but only really the wealthy could make use of them. There were lots of, um, lots of um, uh, medicinal um, publications that would, would come up with um, different advices for different um, medical problems. But, but this actually opens up a really interesting um, thing, and that is that the world of early modern medicine was totally different. Their understanding of sickness and plague um, in some ways was similar. So they, they, they knew about um, infectious, uh, infectious through the air, um, but in some ways, with, uh, and also they knew about contagion by touch and so forth. But in some ways, it's quite different too, because um, they, they believed that... Uh, um, there were bodily humours. This was sort of, um, part, there were lots of different ways of thinking about biology back in those days. But um, yeah, 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 there were problems with temperature. Uh, you know, they, they noticed you could have a temperature. 
but they, they thought you had humours, bodily humours that needed to be sorted out. And, and, and they were connected to different seasons and months of the year. And, um, and those in turn were, of course, connected to the star systems. So you would buy these little almanacs and the almanacs would tell you throughout the, the year when certain planets were in certain alignments, you know, zodiac star signs, mm. um, then there were different um, bits of advice, medicinal advice. Mm. So you should let blood, for instance, you know, let out some blood, um, let out bad humours, let out blood um, during certain months and seasons, and that would do certain things. Um, and, you, and if you ate certain things during other months, that would do other things. So let me say that uh, that sounds um, like you know it is different to modern medicine, but it also sounds quite similar to uh, the massive amount of advice that's going around on social media about uh, all the different you know remedies and and you know uh, theories that that uh, random people have about how to uh, COVID nineteen. So there's a similarity yeah, totally. there too, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. but that's just their worldview. You know, their outlook was. Um, you know, different, uh, uh, you know, there was, a, there was real, you know, that, that issue between stars, bodily humours, um, and so forth, and medicine, kind of relates to their outlook of astrology. Um, astrology and astronomy were the same discipline back then. So if you walked into church, um, it wouldn't be uncommon to see um, the star signs over the doorway on the way in. Because um, actually, that, that they, they knew that, um, he heavenly bodies were connected to celestial bodies connected to earthly bodies. You know, there were um, uh, stars in certain positions related to tides and in their thoughts, stars in certain positions related to what you could do with your body. Um, they just saw an interconnectedness in the universe in ways that we don't. Um, which leads me to another point, and that is to say that, um, and this is sort of absent from a lot of discussion, um, particularly in the Christian world at the moment with COVID-19, um, I'll do a lot of talking here, feel free to interrupt, but um, all the reformers without exception believed that plagues were God's visitation or judgment upon nations or groups of people um, mm. for various different And so the response to the plague was not just um, medical responses, but it was to get on your knees and pray um, mm. for repentance and that the Lord might relent um, and, and simply that the Lord might um, just relent anyway, just, just take this place. Um, so there's a real spiritual dimension to their response to plague. Mm -hmm. That's, uh, that's well, uh, it, it's biblical in, in many ways, isn't it? Because I, mean, I was just speaking to David Honey last week and we were talking about Revelation and the kind of the horsemen of the apocalypse. Um, and the idea that you know it's we're not we're not just talking about kind of the, the final end times it's not the horsemen of the apocalypse will appear sometime in the you know in the uh, future when um you know donald trump uh, does something pressing the nuclear button or something it's actually um uh, a description of uh god's not final but his of his judgment uh upon us uh, in so many different ways uh, and down through the ages. Uh, and so the response is to uh, realise uh, our sin. Uh, and whether we actually, you know, say, well, you know, this particular disease has come because of this particular sin, uh, that's, that's not necessarily what we should, we should be doing. But to say, well, this is a sign of God's judgment uh, upon us. Um, and it's not that 
you know, I'm more sinful than you or you're more sinful than me or the people who get the disease are more sinful than people who don't. It's though the response to, to, to fall on our knees and pray uh, and, and repent, um, come back to God and, and uh, uh, beg him for mercy, I guess. Is that what the reformers did? Is that, is that the kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, yeah. Were they um, more specific? Well, so again, it's a, there's a range, right? Um, I mean, generally, um, that's exactly right. But um, there, there was a, a general sense in which this is part of God's um, judgment response to sin and um, uh, they would catch that in terms of all sorts of different words um, fatherly chastisement um, wrath punishment visitation you know these kinds of categories um, in a general sense um, that the, the reformers weren't um, and, and for any angel who's listening this is this is part of the prayer book theology it's in, in the, um, the prayers and the rubrics of the um, the service of visitation of the sick um, which, which, by the way, um, is is being quoted very frequently at the moment for the, for the Lord's Supper discussions. Um, that you can have the Lord's Supper without actually consuming the element. Um, what, what actually just this is a segue. There needs to be said. Um, people who are often quoting that are very quick to quote that little bit, but they, they often don't quote the rest, which is basically saying, you know, if you're a minister, you go and visit that sick person, and um, and, and if that sick person can can um, take the the elements of bread and wine, then you give them that. Um, elements of bread and wine. Um, it's only when they absolutely cannot, you know, take it that you are to um, uh, uh, withhold the bread and wine and just have a spiritual communion. Um, so, so I mean, it's not that the principle's untrue. The principle's true that you can do the spiritual communion thing, but, but, but the way it's being cast is, you know, it's a sort of a, let's jump to that often. Whereas in the prayer book, it's an absolute worst case, um, you, you know, but, but anyway. I can't, I don't. This, is, this is a discussion that we were talking before. We'd like to keep having a, another discussion, um, which is related, but a discussion about church yeah. and how, how it's, yeah. all, it's all happening. And uh, so we'll be talking about that, but, I hope, in the future. Yeah. But in terms of responses to faith, yeah, the reformers weren't um, averse to um, saying it's because of this um, national apostasy, for instance, um, that uh, has, has brought on God's curse. Um, they weren't averse to saying that. Um, so Mary in exiles, because of the reign of Queen Mary and her persecution and, uh, and burning of um, Protestants, um, there is plague breaking out, or um, uh, yeah, or, or, all that sort of thing. Um, one interesting one um, that you see sometimes is um, Paul, the Apostle Paul, makes reference to um, you know getting sick. You know, not, you know, um, uh, I can't remember the word, but, but not pursuing the Lord's Supper correctly. Um, oh yeah, in one, one Corinthians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, and, we don't, and that's a curious, yeah, curious turn of phrase. But a lot of the reformers actually took that as um, uh, actually because of the idolatry of the mass um, and that wrong approach to the Lord's Supper, the plague, sickness, is a direct result of that, which is very interesting. Um, so I, I mean, it's all it's all very interesting. Um, I think to see the diversity of responses, but I think. I mean, some of the big um, takeouts for me are there's nothing new under the sun. Um, uh, their, their responses pastorally were diverse. Some of you, sometimes they would encourage, um, but particularly ministers, they would say ministers must stay. You've got a pastoral responsibility to stay. Mm. Um, others, civil magistrates, have a, have, a, have a ministerial responsibility to stay. Um, but others... Um, 
you know, if it's the right thing to do, go. There was a proverb um, in Germany, um, and I think the proverb went something, something like, um, fly quickly, fly far away, and return late. Yeah, <laughs> like don't come back there for a while. Um, so yeah, yeah. So so lots of responses, but but generally they had a uh, they wanted to respond to God in the middle of it, and I think that for me is a really interesting thing. Not just seeing this as a medical problem, but seeing this as an opportunity to respond to God. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's and it's a different pastoral responses, but but theological responses um, happening. All, all the way through, yeah. Um, other, I, I mean, I, I'm sure you know. I don't want to sort of steal all the thunder from the lecture that you're going to be giving on, on Tuesday, but I, I'm thinking. So the different dimensions are, are just sort of the context. You know, the the, the, the context uh, then is in many ways similar to our context today, even though it's different. Uh, there's the question of the, the theological response in terms of repentance uh, and uh, the identification of God's judgment. Um, the dimension of uh, what you actually do practically. And, and um, mm. I guess they, they, they thought theologically um, and pastorally about those questions, you know, it's your pastoral responsibility to stay or, you know, or not. Um, are there other dimensions um, in, in or other, other kind of areas of yeah. response? Yeah, I mean, I, I think they're the big ones. Um, I think other ones are, yeah, I think the... the other sort of interesting things are just death is more uh, in your face back then than it is now. And I, I think one of, an interesting outtake is um, death is in our face now in ways that we haven't been used to for a little while. I'm speaking as a well-educated, well-off, um, white um, Australian. Mm. Um, and um, yeah, who knows how long this thing will last and, and, mm. and will happen with COVID-19 but certainly I think it's, it's presented um, hardship and death and um, difficulty in ways that are really new to us but for a lot of the early moderns um, it was really normal and so I think just seeing how they responded how they prayed how they cared how they approached death and spoke about death quite clearly um, is really helpful. I think um, it just it just sort of recalibrates us a little bit with the rest of the normal yeah. yep. for the human race. Yeah, it's making us yeah, it's sort of yeah, normalising us a, a bit. I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to guess that when the reformers were speaking about death one of the key things that they did was they spoke about eternal life in the Lord Jesus Christ, um, that the salvation that we have and, and the, uh, the justification that we have. I'm just, I'm just guessing, you know, uh, from a, um, someone who's read a bit of the reformers. Is that true? You know, that, that, uh, that they pointed it's us to It's entirely true. Yeah. yeah, it's entirely true. I mean, um, uh, what's a good example? I'll just try and find a little... A little prayer. In fact, why don't I just read you a line from um, Zwingli's um, plague thing? Yeah. He says, um, here's just a couple. I'll read it from the top. Help me, O Lord, my strength and my rock. Low at the door, I hear death knock. This is an English line version, of course. 
Um, uplift, shine, um, once pierced for me that conquered death and set me free. Yet if thy voice in life's midday recalls my soul, then I obey. In faith and hope, earth I resign, secure of heaven, for I am thine. My pains increase, haste to console, for fear and woe seize body and soul. Death is at hand, my senses fail, my tongue is dumb, now Christ prevail. Lo, Satan strains to snatch his prey, I feel his grasp, must I give way? He harms me not, I fear no loss, for here I lie beneath thy cross. My God, my Lord, healed by the hand, upon the earth once more I stand. Let sin no more rule over me, my mouth shall sing alone to thee. Though now delayed my hour will come, involved perchance in deeper gloom, but let it come with joy I'll rise and bear my yoke straight to the skies. Thanks very much, Mark. I don't think that we can end on anything more apt uh, or uh, helpful or uh, Christ-exalting uh, than that uh, hymn mm -hmm. from uh, Zwingli. So uh, thank you. I really appreciate your time. And just to uh, remind everyone that the lecture, the, the public lecture you're going to be giving, which is all online, is going to be at 7pm on Tuesday, the 14th of April. And you'll be able to find it by going to the Moore College website, um, moore.edu.au. And there should be a prominent link there for you to um, look at it. And it's free. I, I, it's, 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 the, it's a public lecture that you're giving. Is that right? That's right. Thanks very much, Mark. Um, and thanks no worries, for your time. Cheers, mate. You've been listening to ISOCHAT's Theology. I'm Lionel Windsor, New Testament lecturer at Moore Theological College, Sydney. If you like this podcast, please consider sharing us and please review and rate the podcast on your favourite podcast platform so others get to hear about it too. Video versions are available on YouTube or on my website at lionelwindsor.net. You might also like to check out another podcast I've created called Lift Your Eyes, a series of 70 reflections on Ephesians. And by the way, the name for this podcast was created by Adelaide Windsor. The theme music was written and performed by me and Harry Windsor, and the cover art was designed by Ellie Windsor. Love their work. Thanks for listening. <laughs>